what's going on, guys? You're listening to the LCR Media Podcast with your host, LCR Nailor Tally Farrow. Thanks for tuning in again. We are going to have uh, a playback from the Kohler event where we were at, or I was at myself and many other content creators uh, and great speakers there um, down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, back in February, I believe it was, last February. So time, time's gone by and we're just now getting to this content. I had so much content uh, pre-recorded from so many different events like Synced Live and and then um, the Kohler event and, and just, just so many different things going on, different interviews and uh, IBG episodes all, all in between, you know, like like they were designed to be um, IBG in between guests. So um, just now getting to um, some great content here from the Kohler event, the Lawn and Landscape Society event. Uh, it was a great time. If If you didn't go, Definitely look into going next year. Um, information on that will be coming soon as, as they uh, are releasing information and planning and coordinating that. Of course, that'll, they, they will let that out, and I will share that as well on here and, and uh, other social media platforms. But we had a panel where myself and Paul Jamison, Sean Spencer, Mike Andes, Jason Creel, we were all on a, on a panel uh, just up up front for everyone, um, all the attendees to ask us whatever questions they wanted. Uh, Paul was the MC, um, and he just kind of guided us with some some pre pre scripted or whatever questions pre uh, pre picked, I guess, right? Pre picked out questions, and then and then opened it up to to the floor for everyone to ask whatever questions they wanted to. So there's just a lot of great, you know, candid information shared. I mean, a lot of good business tips. I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, there was so much to learn just from that panel, you know, in addition to, you know, the speakers and so on. So uh, we all had different things to share, different experiences, you know, myself and, and Sean, um, similar businesses, you know, with the lawn maintenance and, and, and landscape maintenance and Jason Creel uh, had all, did all, a lot of that and then went down, uh, not went down, like converted to fertilization weed control only. Um, so, so he's got a lot of unique experiences with that. And then you got Mike Andes, who's got, you know, massive company with, you know, a franchise company with lots of uh, franchisees, you know, owners all over, you know, and he's trying to keep growing that, spreading that. And he's got a lot, a ton of experience and knowledge. He's just a very knowledgeable person to begin with, very smart guy. So it, it was a whole full, full gamut there for all of us to kind of share our experiences to answer different attendees questions. So anyway, this is a, a nice long snippet. I think it was probably like about an hour or so of, of time of us, um, you know, on, on there, I didn't even look at the actual runtime of the, of the content, but it was, it was two different things put together. Um, cause it, we had a break in between and all that. So, but anyway, it, it, it was, it was, it was a good amount. So it's, it's definitely not short and sweet. It's full of meat and potatoes here. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Finally getting it out for you. I know spring rush is probably winding down by the time this comes out for, for most, if not all of you. Um, but depending on where you are, you know, you're probably still knee deep in mulch or, or who knows what, you know, still busy doing a lot of spring services and kind of gearing up for the hot summer, uh, potentially dry or wet, whatever, however it goes in your part of the, of the country or, or world. Um, and, and if you're some, somewhere else in the world, this might not be your summer, this might be your winter and you're kind of winding down. So now this can kind of get you fired up and give you some ideas to get ready for next, you know, for, for your spring when that comes, um, when, when we're winding down in the fall, you know, it's like the opposite. So, but if you are gearing up for summer, hopefully this will help get you through it as well and give you some, some information, some food for thought, maybe even, maybe you can, you know, make some adjustments 
even now, you know, I mean, the season just started, so it's not like it's halfway through or almost over and, and it's never too late. Even if it, even if we were in the fall, it's still never too late to make adjustments. I mean, Hey, I've made adjustments like a month before, you know, the mowing season ends just because I needed to, you know, I couldn't take another month of no profit or low profit or a, a PETA customer that's driving me absolutely insane or, or whatever, you know, um, employee staffing adjustments, whatever it is, equipment things, you know, whatever you got to do, you got to do when you have to do it. I mean, of course, if you can wait for certain things, you know, maybe it's more professional to do things a certain way, like instead of canceling on a, on a customer, you know, like halfway through the season, if you can make it through or you can transition into somebody else or whatever. I mean, of course you want to be professional about everything, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do for to keep your business healthy and your, your mind, you know, and your heart healthy as well. Stay, stay sane, you know, keep your sanity personally and, as well as professionally, you know, so you got to protect yourself as well as your business. So anyway, uh, enough of all that rambling. Hope you guys enjoy this uh, nice long panel discussion from the Kohler Lawn and Landscape Society event. All right. I'm the moderator today. I'm Paul Jamison. I host the Green Industry Podcast. I love doing these, so don't be shy. You can ask Mike Andes any question you want, controversial questions, preferred, any question you want for any of the guests. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Hey guys, I'm Naylor Taliaferro, uh, LCR Media, long care rookie. Just here having fun with you guys, trying to just participate in as much as I can with the community. I also have a long care business going on year nine. Um, so I've been living through a lot of the same stuff as a lot of you guys have over the last few years. So just trying to navigate that and share that on social media and help each other grow personally and professionally. I got one. Got two. I'm Jason Creel. I'm from Alabama. My Local companies called Alabama Lawn Pros. I spray weeds and kill them. I try to kill them. Hopefully they die. And on, on social media, I go under Lawn Care Life. So I pr primarily work on YouTube for that. Sean Spencer Lawn Care. I'm one half of my beautiful wife over there. We're a team, husband and wife. Uh, out of Ohio, 11th year in business and uh, loving every minute of it. I'm, I personally want to say thank you to each and every one of you that stuck with us and came to the event and you know we just make sure you take it all in the relationships the food uh just the aura of where we're all at and together because the last couple of years we were unable to do this so i personally just wanted to say from us thank you i think they know me i just have i'm just happy to have my booster seat up here so i can be on the same playing field but yeah just go ahead and kick it off a moderator well for everyone who's going to watch later on on the social media who are you Oh, sorry. Social media people. My name is Mike Andes. You've already gotten his ad, so you've probably seen him before. <laughs> yeah, Augusta Lawn Care. And yeah, talk about that, this Mike. is Liz. She runs it. So she asked us to tell how we got into the industry. I'm Liz Neighbor from Washington State, and I'm COO of Augusta Lawn Care Services. And how I got into the industry is I was working full-time at the hospital night shift, and I was getting off one morning, and Mike texts me. He goes, please, can you come by the shop when you get home? or after work. And, uh, he said, I'm working over a hundred hours just in the shop, let alone doing estimates and deliveries of product. Can you please, I just need somebody I trust to come work with me. And the next day I was on a tractor and I'd never been on a tractor in my life. So let's go. <laughs> so this warm weather is, uh, kind of hitting at the spring rush is going to be here. What's your number one piece of advice to, you know, have the most successful spring rush in your business have a plan 
I, I want everyone to answer. Was that sh- short enough? <laughs> that, that, was, that was short and sweet. <laughs> short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, planning is definitely a big part of it. Uh, you know, make sure your advertising is locked in and you're just really, you know, honing in your routes, guys. Like, I can't stress that enough. Your route density is going to make or break a lot of your success, especially early on, because like Mike kind of hinted on earlier, last thing you want to be doing is driving 15 minutes one way, then 15 minutes back the other way because Miss Smith wants to be on Friday. You know, you got to target those customers at the exact time you're in those neighborhoods and just deal with the repercussions if you can't take care of her or get $250 a cut. So I think as I was just sitting here thinking to me, you you can't really have a spring strategy unless you kind of know what your overall strategy is. So if I, like me personally, I'm trying to, I'm I'm a solo operator who's very content being a solo operator. So my spring strategy is not go get 400 more customers this spring. I'm going to use the same illustration I used with Paul because he just did this just to work with him. But, um, you know, so I tell people it's like Alabama. Got to bring Alabama football into. It. I don't bring. I don't. I'm not even a passionate fan. I just watch it. Ooh. You know, it's, it's part of the culture. But uh, but what I'm saying is they they they're not their spring strategy is not let's go re- start a whole new team. Let's revamp the offense. We just barely squeaked by last year. You know, but it's like I want to get a little bit better in certain areas. So for me as a solo operator, I'm trying to fine tune what I feel like is is going pretty well for me and. Let me pick up a few more customers in these neighborhoods where I'm established. Let me improve my efficiency. Let me uh, try to get my prices where they need to be kind of thing. But, again, if I have a friend, his strategy is to grow to a multimillion-dollar company and sell it one day. So his spring strategy is probably going to look a lot different because he he's really trying to ramp up revenue and clients and all that. So it's a he'll get a higher value one day, obviously, than I would. Uh, yeah, I think for a lot of us, just like knowing what your budget hour capacity is for the spring. And then a lot of people try to do everything in the spring. Whereas if you can push projects off further off into the summer and focus on the more immediate services that need attention right away, usually it's mowing. Like you can, you can push off a, a paver patio to summer and sell someone on that three months down the road, but you can't tell someone, Hey, I'll get to your, your lawn that's overgrown in three months. So trying to just prioritize which services you're going to actually um, do during the spring rush is, is something that really helped us to kind of level out the spring rush massive demand uh, kind of few months. Um, I would I would say that whatever your plan is to share it with your team and to get them on board with it so that they can start, they can watch you and kind of block for you and help you do whatever your plan is and also have a plan for your personal care to pace yourself because you know what it's like in spring rush and have your non-negotiables of things you're going to do to make sure you hydrate and sleep. I know that sounds silly, but everybody, everybody crashes if they don't. So that, that was just a tease. So my, my plan, (laughs) (laughs) no, so, so last year, so last year's plan, because I can tell you the results versus this year's plan last year's plan. It was, what's my biggest headache going into last spring rush. And a gazillion phone calls, emails, all that stuff. So how do I alleviate that off of my shoulder? So I uh, tried out a call service so that they handled 80 something calls in April. And I only got to deal with the ones that mattered to me, the ones that needed a quote, needed me to talk to for various reasons. So every time my phone rang, one ring 
while I was on a mower or I was talking to somebody or I was given a quote, it would automatically get transferred to that call service. And it was a huge weight off my shoulders knowing that I didn't have to deal with that until later on in that day or if they called me back because it was something urgent or whatever. And that helped me just stay focused on the clients I already had and making sure that we get the work done in the spring rush, right? Because we have a ton of work to do, but then also dealing with that influx, especially if you're trying to grow, what is your plan for that? Like, that's great to grow and and advertise and have that all part of your marketing strategy. But if you don't have a way to deal with the influx of all the phone calls and emails and Facebook messages, that's that's not going to help you. That's just going to flood you with overwhelming response. And and it's also going to put a bad name potentially out there for you and your business because you're not even answering the phone or handling it. So that that was my plan last year. And it was it was a game changer for me. What did you have in mind when you were thinking about controversial questions to me? uh, That's for audience participation. All right. Well, hold on. I, I had a I had a piggyback. Thanks, Jeremiah. Thanks, Jeremiah. I had a piggyback off the spring rush, and then we can get into that if you want. So uh, you can think about your answer, Mike. So all right, piggybacking. Uh, Naylor's married with children. You know, Jason married four children. Sean and TQ very public marriage and, and, and children. Mike, do you get a girl yet? All right. So Mike and I are single, but. Uh, how do you're you... the only one advertising that, bro? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got okay. So... <laughs> All right, we can give out your digits if you want. <laughs> Hold on, I'll get them for you guys or gals. <laughs> back to back to the question here, rookie. <laughs> um, married ki- kids, a crazy schedule in the spring. How do you? Um, you know, sustain a, a healthy marriage and being there for your children while also serving your customers with such a high demand? Well, when I first started, I told my wife, I'm not going to start a project or start working past six o'clock. And she thought that was a really good, uh, a really good compromise because before that retail management, I worked all the time. The hours were all over the place. So I, I didn't want to, I wanted to immediately start controlling my time so that I could uh, be there for my family and kind of re like just recover from all the craziness of my previous life. So six o'clock was just like one, one of many examples of like me having a definitive plan, like six o'clock, I'm not going to work past six o'clock. I'm not going to start anything at six o'clock. So this way I can pack up and I can go home and we can have dinner together and spend time. Typically six o'clock is a little late for dinner, but it just gave me something to a target, a goal. A lot of times I would be finished before six because it'd be five 30. I knew that I couldn't start anything and be done by six. So I would stop. So that's just one of many things that I did to help. So if get it's five fifty and you're like, oh, let's bang out one more. You're like, nope. Because it's six o'clock. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Toro's brand new battery powered Revolution Series products are changing the lawn care industry. With all day runtime from the innovative Hypercell battery system, you can expect to power through your entire day every day. Head to revolution.toro.com to see how Toro is transforming the game with the latest equipment innovations. Or click the link tree in the episode description to get you there fast. I'm going to give the same answer I gave on the last question. Alabama? No, I'm not using that illustration yet, but I, I do think you have to start with the end in mind in a sense so like if i wake up tomorrow and i say you know what my life goal is on my tombstone for to say greatest lawn care provider of all time and that's my only life goal well then yeah i'm, I'm a, then forget everything else i'm going uh, 
just dedicate everything to that. But I, and I think this is actually difficult to implement because I think most of you guys like us are entrepreneurs and you're self-employed or whatever. And so you're, you are driven to make more money and you know, if I work more, I'll probably make more money. Now, there may be a, some point where that is no longer true, but for a, a period of time, it's like, if I mow another yard, I will get more money into the bank. So I think I had to like think, well, yeah, that's, that's true, but that's not the only thing I exist for. So I, I do have a family. I do have other things I value. Maybe it's even going fishing once a year or something with my son or something. You know, so I have to make that a priority and be okay with that. That might actually mean making less money. But my number one goal in life is not to make money. Now, I'm trying to make money, but I'm trying to do it more faster and more efficient without neglecting all the other things that matter in life. What's the quote in your shop? I don't have a quote in my shop, but I, I thought about writing down. And yesterday I thought, because you know, my mind, I'm thinking making money is very important. So I thought I'm going to just write it on the wall is, what was the quote? I forgot. <laughs> it, it was something that, to, that, that making money is not the most important thing in my life. You know, it just right. And I know that if you ask me in a sane moment, I, I realize that. But on a day-to-day practical basis, if you looked at my life, you would think, I think the most important thing in Jason's life is making more money. And and it's very important. And I'm not saying that I'm trying to like retire at age, you know, a few years from now. But uh, anyway, I, I just, I need to be reminded of that because again, if you're around a bunch of dri- self-driven people, um, that, that, they're probably not going to remind you that very often. They're like, work harder, go do stronger, better, faster, and all that, which is great. But then, you know, if you if you you don't remember your kids' names when they grow up, it's kind of kind of missed the point. Yeah. So this one I could probably talk about for a day and a half, <clears throat> only because it's something I've personally struggled with. I don't go to it much on our social media because I try to keep our personal life. Uh, out of everybody else's business. I just don't think it's something I really want to go into a whole lot. But uh, I worked into a point where I could have easily ended my marriage. And luckily, Savannah came to me and she said, you know, this isn't working. Like I've shared with people in 2018, when I finally decided to take social media serious, I went over three years without missing a day of uploading a video. And I mean, shooting the video, editing the video, uploading the video, titling, description, thumbnail, you name it. And it, it took a solid probably two and a half, three years before she came to me and said, hey, this isn't working. You know, we need a we need a day at least. So then I started taking Saturdays off and I still take those Saturdays off for the most part. But uh, as a person that's so driven for what I want to achieve even on those days I take off, I feel like I should still be working. Like it's hard to explain to somebody that doesn't get it, but I think Mike understands it. And I'm glad Mike actually knows where he's at right now with his business and that he knows he doesn't want to bring a a wife or something into that because it would be bad. It it would be, it would be Mike's on a path right now. He's so driven. I kind of went into that path already married and it took a while to figure it out. Uh, but I did figure it out. I'm not perfect by any means, but, uh, you know, work is important, but it's not everything. And it hurts because like, you know, that day that you're, you're with your kids, like we were just in Amish country on Saturday, the day before I was in Kentucky, Sunday, we're flying down here, but you still take that day. 
And your kids will remember that. Your wife will remember that. And sometimes maybe they're looking forward to that next Saturday. But it's also, you know, making sure they know that Saturday is going to be their day and that it's filled from the time we wake up to the second we go to bed and we can do whatever they want. And for the most part, I'll try to keep social media out of it altogether. You can plan ahead with that kind of stuff. But uh, to kind of answer your question a little bit earlier, when you were asking Mike about that personal disconnection, you know, between life and work balance, you can't, when you're driven, especially most people in here right now are at an age where you're still pretty motivated. It is extremely hard to find that balance because you're, you're constantly in your own mind going to be saying, Am I giving my family enough time? Am I giving my kids enough time? Am I giving my business enough time? And in reality, you don't know. You, you can only look at your life and how things around you are going. My kids are straight A students. My wife, you know, she shares with me every day that she's happy. We got a roof over our head, food in our bellies. You know, bills are paid. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to be a light in this community to, you know, we can all be better. So I have to look back and maybe I'm not achieving as much because I'm taking that one day off a week that I could be putting elsewhere, but we're still having a large impact. So that's just my personal side of it. Yeah, I think a lot of the times, uh, a lot of the pressure we put on ourselves is just because of the optics to other people and not only to build the business bigger, but also to, you know, quote unquote, spend more time with our family or um, have more work-life balance is like, well, that's what we're told we should, or like, I don't want to be looking like I'm the guy who neglected his family or whatever. I just think a lot of times we have social pressures that push us in either direction that really it should be between you and your spouse or you and your significant other, your, your family, what your goals are back to what Jason was talking about. That's what it should be determined by, in my opinion. And based upon like my experience isn't obviously firsthand, it's secondhand through the franchisees seeing what works. Like we've Last year, we had four what we call uh, state of emergencies. So they can declare state of emergency and we basically take the business over for six weeks. And so all four of them fortunately made it through, but every single one had to do with overdoing their capacity or something in their personal relationship. And so that is a matter of like, we try to do what we can on the business side, but it's ultimately, it's like you guys did not have a conversation about what the hours were going to look like. You know, when were I supposed to clock out? Like, what are the goals of this business? Like, you know, people come to a conference like this and they go home and like super fired up and then they wonder why their spouse is like a drag. They weren't here. They don't know what you heard and what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve. And so I think just getting on the same page and making sure there's some uh, common ground there is important instead of just, you know, three years down the road, realizing that you're in a completely different mindset than my mind space and them. Speaking of balance, I think there's a good balance of us that are here. So um, I am single and not looking and I have two grown children and four grandsons. And I'm at a, like a whole different where I've turned that corner poured a hundred percent into the kids, tried to keep a balance. And then now I've made the decision that this is what we're doing. Every year we write down our goals of what we want for our business, personal lives, fitness, health, the whole thing. And then we go for it. And so there's no balance. And my kids understand that um, this is what we're doing. And they appreciate that, that somebody's working hard to go towards their goals. And I also recognize that if I raised awesome kids like you guys are doing now, then they're very self-sufficient. And when we are together, the, the quality of our time is so good. Fantastic answers, guys. That was really good. Jeremiah, can you clarify your question? 
Hey guys, it's Marty. Let me take a moment and tell you about the Ramp Rack. This is a pickup insert that eliminates the need to pull a trailer just to haul your equipment. It easily installs on any 1500 to 3500 pickup long or short bed, extending the usable space of your bed by two feet. The Ramp Rack's most popular model for landscapers is the PU200. It has rear window protection and a removable shelf for push mowers and gas cans. You're going to love this. The Ramp and Dovetail have a weight capacity of 2,000 pounds. Made in Maryland, it comes powder-coated and, of course, built to last for years. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Head over to therampwrack.com and, of course, save 10% with the promo code LCR. That's therampwrack.com, and of course, we'll throw the link in the show notes. LCR not only uses the Ramp Rack, but he gives it his highest endorsement. Okay, so the question from Jeremiah Jennings, Growing Green Landscape, was debt or no debt to grow your business? Okay, a question came from Jeremiah Jennings, the instigator in the back. He wanted to know about, and he's a he's a big debt guy, so that was he was biased in his question. But are you a Dave Ramsey type, no debt, build your business at the speed of cash, or are you a Jeremiah Jennings going to debt uh, to scale your business? You want to use that one? No. Oh. <laughs> Come on, man, you're killing me. So uh, <laughs> a wise person told me that. Again, it's about your goals and how fast you want to grow because you can do it debt-free, but it's slower growth. Um, and obviously, if you do it too fast and you go into too much debt, then you, that's unrecoverable. So I think it, it depends on your goals and what you try, what, like a balance between the two. Me personally, I try to follow that balance motto. Like, you know, a little bit of uh, business debt is not a terrible thing to help you grow to the next level as long as you have a, a strategy and a plan how you're going to pay that debt back. Like if you're buying a mower that you need to make money, clearly, you know, how are you going to make money if you it, it's almost like a double edged sword. So you have to have a plan, you know, to save and, and, and use a little bit of debt and things like that. But going completely debt free and going all in in debt, I think, are two complete opposite results and depends on the person, the risk factors, what you can and can't handle, and what ultimately your goals are for your business. If you just want a solo owner operator um, business, then you can do it no, debt free 100%. Uh, and, and you just got to know how long things are going to take. But that's just my unexpert opinion. Me personally, I think you can use debt smartly, you know, but first and foremost, you know, cash flow, you're, you're going to want to have a good reserve of that so that, you know, if it does go bad, you're still able to pay your bills. But everybody knows in here, you can, you can buy a piece of equipment, but are you buying something that you don't necessarily need? And that'll all come down to your overhead. If your overhead is just astronomical and you're not generating enough money to put money in the bank and save you know, you're, you're doing something wrong there. So uh, I'll use my own personal example. Uh, last year we bought a storage facility. We took money. Yeah. We had to put 30% down. That's right out of the front, but that property, you know, we knew looking at the numbers that we could turn it around and we could start cash flowing almost $3,000 a month off of it. It alleviated all of our storage problems immediately. It, uh, just by upgrading certain things, going to an on-base uh, CRM, easy storage solutions. We took everybody that was meeting the previous owners at the place with a check, believe it or not, or cash. And now we never even see them. Yesterday, I'm sitting in a room with Noah and we get 100% occupied. So 
um, talking to somebody else that knows business, Mike's very first question, you're going to raise rates, right? Obviously, yeah, you're going to raise rates. You're not going to get crazy, but you're going to raise rates because we don't want to be 100% occupied, believe it or not. Just like, you know, if you're, you're a lawn care business, you don't want to be mowing 100 lawns if you're not making any money. So raise your prices, do less work and make more money if you guys kind of get what I'm saying. But to stay on topic of the whole debt thing, that's all a personal question. This is not financial advice for anybody watching anyway. Uh, Spencer Lawn Care is not legally uh, held liable for all that. Just letting you know. But just be smart, guys. I, I think you guys know when you're sitting there like, hey, do I need this? Uh, should I finance it? You know, if you don't have money in the bank, you shouldn't be financing anything because then you're just putting yourself at risk. And with risk comes stress. And with stress, bad problems start happening. You have a bad month. Can't make that. The bills don't stop coming. So just be smart. I think this question was for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not against debt, honestly. Like I actually, we actually have quite a bit of debt. Uh, if, if people knew how many millions of dollars I'm in debt, they'd probably be flabbergasted. But it's not on um, depreciating assets, right? So it's only in real estate, um, and it's all stuff that has less than four percent interest on it. So technically, it's less than inflation. So where I get scared though is when someone you know says, okay, I have zero percent down on this truck, and it's like, well, yeah, but you paid an extra ten thousand dollars in financing fees. And so um, the the zero percent down thing that everyone gets caught up into this industry, they're making their money somewhere. It's on the financing fees, uh, and you're not going to get like a discount by doing a cash thing versus doing debt. So um, I think it just comes down to risk tolerance too. Like if you're in my situation, like if I if I go bankrupt, like I'm still going to live in a closet like I do now. So like it's not going to change a whole lot. Whereas if you have a family, like I think it's your obligation to ensure that if you if, if things go really south that you know, you're going to be able to keep a, uh, uh, something over their head and food on the table. I think it's really important. So um, I, obviously, I, I tend to think more in terms of cash because I think it makes people think more conservatively. And instead of thinking, oh, I can get the $80,000 truck, it's like, oh, no, I'm gonna, if I'm paying more cash, I'm probably going to opt for the $30,000 truck. In my opinion, $10,000 spent on marketing is going to do a whole lot more for you than spending $10,000 more on a truck. I just, I just can't any math to, to prove otherwise. And so I think too many of us spend way too much money. If we look at the assets of our business that we spent money on versus what we spent in marketing, which actually brings in customers, it just blows my mind that people can't get a website and yet they have a $50,000, $200,000 of assets. It's nuts. Can I piggyback off that a little bit, Mike? Where, where do you draw the line? Because I know you, your motto is to use like a little bit older trucks. My motto is, hey, I'm going to use newer trucks now because we can for one and we have less breakdowns most of the time. Not saying new trucks can't break down. Obviously, mine do all the time. But where do you find that fine line? I, I guess where's your your age limit at on a vehicle where you're finding you know maybe it just costs too much if it breaks down or your time your loss revenue if you're you know sitting there with a truck in the shop versus you know a, a newer truck basically should go maintenance free for quite a while. Totally. So <clears throat> I like to have backups in terms of trucks, and the problem with that is when you have only one or two trucks, for example a backup truck it becomes 30 40% of your of your fleet is sitting there every day. So that's not good. However, this is the thing. If you're looking at say a $50,000 truck versus a 15 or $20,000 used truck, I would personally go buy the truck for cash with 15 or 20,000 because I could then just the savings on insurance alone. If you look at the insurance of a leased or a, a financed vehicle versus a one that you own, one that you own, you can do way lower in terms of your uh, limits as well as your uh, deductible can be higher. Personally, I'm not going to use insurance on a $300 damaged thing. It just, 
not good, especially when you have a business because then your deductible or your rates go up, et cetera. So I want like high, high deductibles. If you go finance your vehicle, you're not going to allow that. And that's going to cause your insurance to typically be almost double, sometimes triple the cost per month. So if I went and bought that fifteen dollars or $20,000 truck, yes, it is going to be have more da- uh, downtime, et cetera. But I could literally, with the savings of just my insurance, go get another truck that is, that is financed and get a second fifteen dollars or $20,000 vehicle for the savings of that first one. And so you know, our, our, before 2020, we never spent more than $7,000 on a truck, ever. Um, now, obviously, with truck inflation and stuff, we're looking at more like... 12 to 15,000. But, um, you know, I just don't, I just don't buy the fact that if a truck goes down for a day, two, three, a week, even that I can't buy a cheap truck that can, um, back it up. And it just, I spend the other money on, you know, marketing and things like that. What you're making models are you buying? Where, where are you buying these 12 to $15,000 trucks? Yeah. So right now we really like, I don't like to go too much earlier than 10 years out. Like that starts to get where there is issues, especially the electrical for us. It's the electrical, um, buying trucks out of Canada. You gotta be careful too with the salt and we're close to the border. Um, so we were really looking for trucks that are within 10 years. So 2013, 2014 is like my wheelhouse. Um, we just bought eight trucks for the ones that are just getting started in North Carolina. They're all tw- 2013 to 2015, and we all all of them were about thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars, and all of them have less than a hundred thousand miles. Um, I I really want to get like five to eight years out of them, and if I have to replace the engine at that time, like we'll determine what that price is then. Um, like back in the day, if if a if a truck needed a new engine, it was out because like it was the cost of a new truck. But now, you know, I'm not gonna go spend fifteen thousand if my engine's only five. It's just different math, right? Ford, Chevy, what are you buying, Mike? Flip a coin, doesn't matter. I just have paint no, it yellow. Yeah, paint it yellow. As long as it's yellow and has Max on it, we're good to go. No, I've gone to auctions before. Um, I'm not a huge fan of doing uh, what's it called? The when a, uh, it's been damaged before, not refurbished. What's the word? Uh, a rebuilt, Sa- salvaged. Oh, yes. The other one, rebuilt. Title? Rebuilt. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of rebuilt titles, mostly because I've seen issues with the electrical. And electrical for me, like. I don't know how to do any. I've never changed the oil in the car. I hardly know how to do like the fluid for the windshield wipers. So um, electrical is way beyond my pay grade. So I've just seen a lot of issues with those. Um, but we used to get them all from Canada. It was great because the exchange rate and they have a ton of trucks up there from the oil fields. Um, but what, since COVID, we've just stayed on the U.S. side. It's just a little more difficult to get stuff across the border. You know, the previous administration was a little easier to get things across the border on. Hey guys, if you haven't heard yet, Equip Expo has opened up their registration for 2023 in October. So if you want to save 15%, you can click on the link in the episode description to save 50% off registration. Or if you're already on the website, you can enter in promo code. You can enter LCR in the promo code spot. Again, 50% off. The link is in the episode description or enter promo code LCR. Hope to see you there. And to argue a little bit, because every business is different. We plow, obviously Mike's already shared that that's not really something they target. Uh, any of you guys, if you know plowing, <laughs> after five years, that truck is, that's somebody else's problem. Yeah, because you're going to be rebuilding the whole front end. That's going to cost you five to seven grand, especially with, you know, rates now in the, tr- in the shop. Uh, so it's really also figuring out what works for your business. You know, if you're in snow plowing, you know, even Noah that's sitting up here at front, I mean, he'll buy a 90s truck and, but he's got a mechanic in-house, a guy that knows, you know, right around the corner that can fix anything. If it breaks down, like I've literally seen this guy put seven toggle switches to turn his headlights on. Like, I'm not kidding you. He sends his videos like click, 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 turn the headlight, turn the steering wheel to the left and turn the radio on his headlights come on. But he gets it done and he keeps working. So it's 
finding out what works for your business as well. To argue a point again, um, when it comes to snow, I agree with them, especially because I know like them specifically, they do a lot of snow. It's a very big piece of their business. But back to what we talked about this morning, what percentage of your revenue are you making these buying decisions on? Right, it's a big chunk of their revenue is snow plowing. It's very, very profitable for them. But if you're doing like two lots or three lots, and you're making 20, 30 grand a year, probably not a good idea to be buying, making a truck purchase based upon that service. And so that's when it's like, okay, if it's not worth it, if you're making 10, 15% of your revenue, cut the service so you can scale back your equipment. So when we stopped doing artificial turf and these massive projects, I could get rid of dump trucks and tree chippers. And that caused my insurance to go down. And the amount of skill I required to get guys um, trained up, that went down. So um, just be careful of that too. But I agree with him. If, if you're doing a lot of revenue with things like snow plowing, tree chipping, a lot of hauling debris or equipment, you've got to have bigger trucks that are nicer. Yeah. And I, I want to elaborate a little bit real quick. Neither one of us are wrong. It, it's really, you have to find out what's right for you and then move forward with that. And you'll figure out on your own what's working, what's not working. If you're not using it, get rid of it. So here is a non-tool truck answer. Um, I think that it depends on debt or no debt. I just love these deeper questions. Thank you. Um, if you're, if you're young and you make stupid decisions like I did, you think, you know, everything and you make bad decisions earlier. Um, I think Dave Ramsey's, um, program is good to get you back on track. So I did the envelope system and completely got my family out of debt that way. It was a real pain to carry envelopes around and all that cash, but it worked and it was successful. And I remember thinking, oh God, give me a million dollars. What would I do with a million dollars? Which isn't very much now. Um, but I always have this thought, what would you do with it? Like, do you really, could he even trust you with a million bucks? Like, what would you do with it? And I know that my answer then would be very different than now. Like now I know that I would just take the money and go grow businesses because even all the personal stuff that, you know, I live in a little tiny place too. And to me, that's what it's all about is like um, multiplying the wealth and doing more with the money than just having the money and having things. So I think it does depend on your maturity level and whether you can handle the debt and will be mature enough to handle it correctly. Well said. We want to open up to the floor. Jeremiah, you reached your limit. <laughs> Let's have someone else answer a question. Great questions, though. Anyone else have a question? So the question is, for the sake of the World Wide Web, uh, how do you service your equipment and keep things uh, running efficiently and maintenance the equipment? Is that a fair summary, sir? And how long do you use a piece of equipment until you sell it off and, and upgrade? Well, starting out as an owner-operator, I took really good care of my stuff. So I have all of my original equipment still to this day, nine years later. But as things started to get older, I would just replace them. I, I would position them in the backup category or the secondary mower, for an example. Like my first grandstand was approaching 2,000 hours uh, with the Kohler EFI engine. It's going strong. And um, <laughs> shout out. But uh, I, I knew I knew that I needed to get something else to be the, the front runner. So I got a grandstand multi-force with the Kohler EFI engine. But um, so that's the first mower and the, the second grandstand is now the backup secondary mower to extend the lifespan of that mower. Um, but so it, it's different for everybody. Right. So I know there's going to be other different responses here. But for me, being able to take care of my stuff well for so many years by myself and then teaching any of my employees the same thing and how to take care of them and just being really hands on and, and, and 
as you get bigger, you just have to scale that differently, whether you have mechanics and things like that. But I just always take care of my stuff and try to think ahead of how you know, I do all the maintenance myself, anything that's above and beyond me, which I'm not a mechanic by any means. I just go to my dealer. I have a great dealer relationship that's right down the road. So I really factored all this in. My storage is right next to the self uh, cleaning car wash, which is right next to my dealer, which is right next to the trailer uh, fixing place. So like it's all right there in a row. I've literally driven my mower back and forth to the dealer on the street. People are like, what the, you know, so I just planned it all out. Storage is a little more expensive, but I'm paying for the convenience of being next to all that, which is right in the central location of my whole uh, service area. So I just factor all that in uh, so that I can just keep the longevity of all my equipment and my business. I think the mathematical financial answer is that it's better to keep your equipment longer. But I, I think I kind of agree with uh, what Mike and Sean were talking about on the last question that some of your personal tolerance level, which mine is, is um, below, extremely low. I, I just don't tolerate stuff breaking. So I, I just, for instance, I, this week we, I bought a minivan. And you go, my old one ha, had 230,000 miles on it, which I think the smart financial decision or what I've heard at least is the cheapest vehicle you can buy is the one you currently are own, you know, so probably been better to keep it. It had a, a fine transmission. I've been on. in that thing before. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it, it would go, you know, it, it gets you where you need to go. But I, my personal tolerance level says, no, I'm tired of stuff breaking. I, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So we went and got ripped off on a, a newer one, you know? And so I think the same is true with lawnmowers, um, but you know, if you if you're not mechanical, I was using um, this gentleman's example, or Sean was talking about the the switches and all that. So I, I just don't, I really don't like doing that stuff, and I don't know how to do it. I don't want to work on lawnmowers ever, basically, other than change the blades or something. So for me, if you know, it's kind of like one strike, you're out. You know, the the thing tore up. I'm selling and moving on. So I, I and I like Mike's philosophy on buying trucks. So. I think for lawnmowers, when I was starting, I was I was all about trying to be profitable. And so I would look – I had a, a, several brands I was perfectly fine with from a lawnmower. I was looking on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or whatever it was at the time and looking for the low-hour quality brand. And I wasn't like, I've got to have this brand. And, it, you know, because – so anyway, I found one that had, you know, some – old man owned and kept in his garage and washed off every time he mowed the grass and it might be five years old but had really low hours that made sense to me at that time as far as cost for what you know what kind of income you're going to produce with it so again if you mr fix it you like working on equipment your, your strategy may be a lot different than that yeah me personally mine's changed over the years i used to love to run stuff until it was dead and just gone and then pitch it off or whatever uh, now we like to trade ours in every couple of years. Uh, take that with a grain of salt though. We run Toros. We have a great dealership, so they offer a great fleet program. So we try to stay up to date. We have to recycle our mowers pretty frequently, more than even I would like to by about a year. So every two years we trade them in, we keep in our fleet program, buy another one. It just keeps us getting that 24, 25% off, whatever it is. So it, it's, just what we've adapted into our business where it keeps our equipment because now we're using multi-forces the last uh, two, three years, whatever it's been. So we're using them all year round. We're putting salt on these things. And, you know, it's not, you know, saying that the mower is bad, but salt affects metal pretty quickly. So I don't want to keep it long-term because I don't want the headaches. I don't want to deal with it. So I trade it in, 
get another new one. So that's just my personal business model. I don't recommend you guys doing it, but definitely check with your brands. I know a lot of them have fleet programs and ways that you can save through your dealership. Yeah, I'm really bad with equipment. Like my first year, I didn't know you had to sharpen blades. So for the first year, I didn't sharpen or change my blades. I didn't know you had to do that. And I didn't know that that was a problem until I took it to the dealer and they, they could not get the bolts out. So I had to replace the whole spin. Anyways, bad news. Um, and then like same thing with the zero turns. When we got zero turns, I didn't know you're supposed to change the hydro f- fluid out. And so like, I just thought like after, you know, so many hours, like they just stopped working. Like I was just flabbergasted. So anyways, um, that gives you a little context, but now, like when, when you're hiring employees to your equipment maintenance, I think the big thing is just making sure you standardize as much as possible all your equipment, as well as have automations to remind you to do certain things because you're not going to be like, I have no idea where the trucks are at in terms of oil changes and tire pressure and brakes and et cetera. But you can automate a lot of it, right? So, like it, whether you're using, you know, Copilot or another CRM, send automation to where it's going to email you or give you a notification when you need to change the oil, when you need to uh, do all these things, and it, it knows how many miles the truck is going and knows how many hours are on your on your mowers and it just reminds okay time to do hydro oil try it time to switch out the blades time to do this other as- aspect and or for some stu- someone kind of dumb when it comes to equipment like me like you've got to have that because otherwise you just totally forget about it so like we just know we do our oil changes twice a year on every single truck no matter what same time every year i don't care how many miles there are if it's two thousand or five thousand it's like we're just doing the oil changes in all the trucks so we just keep it all the same This has been an LCR Media and Mr. Producer production.